Hi, everyone. I'm Erin Bagwell. And I'm Diana Matthews. Welcome to Feminist Wednesday's Beaver Talk, the podcast where we give Hollywood unsolicited advice about feminism. In our world, I'm never getting into a boat again. Badass women tell the stories of badass athletes. And the Coxless crew shows us that everyone has their own Pacific to cross. Join us as we deep dive into all the things that fire us up about film and television, the glorious, the misogynistic, and the groundbreaking. This is Beaver Beaver Talk. Talk. Oh Good morning, my girls. God. We are joined by a very special guest, my my beloved friend Brooke. Hi, Hi Brooke. Brooke. Hello, beloved friends. How are you this morning? I'm really happy to be with you guys. Yeah. This is so great. We're yeah. so excited to have you. Oh man, Brooke crossed four thousand kilometers to be here with us today. That's right. She did not row a boat, but she took a flight from Calgary, Alberta, where I'm from. Yes. And I don't know why I just became Southern there, but I kind of liked it. Yeah. Calgary stampede just happened. Sure. It's good. Yeah, sure. We can do that. Um, and you're here to tell us today. Well, you're here to talk to us about Losing Sight of Shore, mm-hmm. and which is a gorgeous film by our good friend, Sarah Moshman. Um, and you're also here because like when I came out of this movie, I was like the first person I need to talk about this with is Brooke. Yes. And... Diana knows me very well. We're very good friends. And she knows that I don't really I don't really consume media. Like I'm I don't watch film. I don't have a Netflix account. I don't borrow anyone else's. What? I know, I Tell know. Tell me more about this. I didn't grow up watching much. Uh-huh. And it's super distracting for me. Okay. But I knew I had to watch this movie because she told me I had to, the documentary. Mm-hmm. And then she was asking me about like what other things I like just now before we started talking and I love sports movies and I or like anything that's about like the resilience of the human spirit. I also have like a weird love of prison movies because oh. I it's so, like wow. Shawshank Redemption and like mm. Cool Hand Luke. Okay. Um, because I think that same, that same thread sure. of being resilient through an uncomfortable, painful like enduring something difficult. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you're not binge watching anything? No. You're not? No. This is not her space. Nothing on cable. Like my, I listen to music. Like okay. I, I like Spotify is my favorite yeah. app on my phone. Like I'm yeah, obsessed. Yeah. I'm addicted to my Spotify. Are you into podcasts? Yes. Um, I've been listening to You Made It Weird with Pete Holmes, uh-huh. um, the comedian. And I like every Super Soul Sunday episode I've listened to. And Oprah sure. just released a new podcast, her masterclass. I'm excited to listen to that. So I've listened to the first two. Mm-hmm. And it's Jay-Z is the first one that was released. And then Dwayne The Rock Johnson. And they're both awesome um, and very authentic. And I kind of like it because she doesn't talk. They just kind of give speeches. Like It's just like little monologues. I love that. I yeah, think that that's such a cool format for a podcast. The other big reason, like, although you are not a huge media consumer. Okay, sorry. Yeah, I went straight to the media thing. No. I, I feel, I think because like I am I'm insecure about it and I just have to like really, I just have to there get that no out. There is no insecurity at the Beaver Talk table. <laughs> there's not, there's no room for this at the Beaver Talk table. Um, but the reason why I wanted to have you on is because like you are the two most radically feminist women on the face of the earth. Definitely in my life. But on the face of the earth, I'm really willing to make that statement. And I just love that like this is happening. You also just finished a major personal achievement in the last month. Yes. yes. You did the Yukon River Quest, which is the world's largest paddle race. You and your girl, Heidi. Mm-hmm. Yes, my amazing teammate, Heidi. Our team's name is Huptown Girls. Yes. Um, and yeah, so it is um, a 715-kilometer paddle race. This was the year, the race's 20th anniversary. Um, it's an endurance race. So you race through the night. You battle like sleep deprivation and obviously pain and um, physical issues. Uh, 103 teams started the race this year, and I'm pretty sure that less than 80 finished. So usually, wow. you know, people um, you you deal with issues on the race and you end, you quit. Um, and we knew going in like that was not an option for us. We were never gonna we we're never gonna quit, and we we ended up having a really successful race. Um, we didn't set any placement goals before we went, which was like actually, I think a really powerful part of our process and yeah. how we gelled as a team. And then we ended up being really successful. We placed second in our class um, and 35th overall, which was fabulous. Which is really, Congratulations. Thank you. And I mean, more than that, like the emotional triumph, Yeah, like just regardless of mm-hmm, completing it and like completing it as a solid team and being able to get off the water with someone that you just 
you know, I, I know some teams who like don't talk to each other after. And mm-hmm. we got off the water and we're like holding How each other and crying. was that? So there's two mandatory rests, um, basically checkpoints. Um, one of them is seven hours long and one is three. So our total time was 66 hours, but our racing time, like our time in the boat was 56 hours. How many days hours. is that? So we started on a Wednesday at noon and we finished Friday morning. Damn. <laughs> yeah. So you just so you're like just nonstop. going day and night until you get those mandatory rest spots. Yes, exactly. So I think wow. our first before we hit the first seven hour stop, we we had paddled for twenty six or twenty seven hours. It's just the two of you. Yes, the two. And of what us. kind of boat are you on? So it's a fiberglass canoe. Okay. Um, so it's it's relatively light. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you want to have a right. Right. It's it's a quality boat. Um, actually, this the boat we, that we we're in. It's the first time it's ever raced at the Yukon River Quest, the type of boat we're in, which is a Kissinu Kisikachewan. Um, yes, I know that's like a beautiful name. Um, it's actually built in Saskatchewan by um, kind of a, a quasi-famous, I, I, that's so horrible to say, a, a paddler who now builds boats. Amazing. That's yeah. phenomenal. Yeah. And so this race includes stand-up paddleboarders, which is nuts. Like people literally stand and yeah, do it. Stand and do it. Um, Voyager canoes. Which what is, kind of water are you in? Um, so for part of the part of it, you're in a lake. So mm-hmm. the, the the I would say one of the more challenging um, parts of the race, which you can deal with some weather issues, you're on uh, Lake Labarge, which is sort of a famous uh, massive lake in the Yukon, mm-hmm. um, and then you're on the Yukon River. So the current um, you could finish the race sitting there, like you could let let the water just take you, okay. um, which is a blessing for especially people that are in solo canoes or kayaks, which is another amazing feat. Um, uh, oh, yeah, some people do it alone. Do it alone, huh? Yeah, actually. Um, What's la- the biggest team that's allowed to compete? I think like eight people can do okay. a Voyager boat. The The solo thing is fascinating to me because after now having done it with someone and knowing what it meant to motivate each other and to be there for each other when we would like intermittently feel our own lows, Yeah, the thought of doing it alone is just incredible. Um, the, the first woman to ever canoe it alone did that not this year, but the year before. Wow. Um, and just like an amazing story um, of like accomplishing something that had never been done, like mm-hmm. the women in the Cox's crew, you know, like setting, like not only break, not breaking a record, setting a record. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like now starting. How did you two find each other to, to team up and yeah. like be part of and to do this? What was, yeah. how did this happen? So, first, Heidi and I are very different people. Um, and we actually crossed paths initially from kind of a work thing. Like we both kind of ran into to each other at work. Um, but she's good friends with one of my good friends. So we had this mutual contact. And my parents have done a lot of marathon canoe racing and a lot of these long races. They're like such an inspiration and the support to me doing this. And my, Heidi, when she wanted to do the race a couple of years ago, two years ago with another friend. So are you like a paddler? Is this like something that you, yeah, you know as an how identifier. to do? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, okay. so, and so I've like worked, like I've been trained in it and okay, like okay. I've have had. You're not like just jumping and you think this is a fun. <laughs> no, but some people have and right. do. And so kind of when Heidi started that, she had rowed actually mm-hmm. um, and had her dad's involved in paddling, but she'd never like, like we go to training camp and stuff now, right? So yeah. Um, but she connected with my parents because she heard about these, this couple in Calgary who had done the YRQ and she wanted to do the YRQ. And she just talks about how like her dad was my social life, mm. like for, like her oh. social life. Like, <laughs> and I went home at Christmas like this year and there was presents under the tree for Heidi. And I was like, okay guys, like I'm still your daughter. Like, <laughs> like she's also their paddling daughter, which yeah, is so yeah. sweet. And so she was close to my parents. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, was going through the experience last year of training for the race and was kind of like, oh my gosh, you know, we're just last year she was just kind of in it to finish and had kind of started to think maybe I'd want to do it again and be a little more competitive. And, and her and I just said, oh, well, maybe we do it together. And it was like a decision made before she'd even done the first work. Like it was just like this random, yeah, let's do it. And we started training together and then became friends. Like we, we are bond. We are so much closer now after having done the race, which is, I think such a beautiful thing because you see the the worst. Well, you can see the worst in people. Mm. So I think in some ways it could have gone the other way, wow, wow, right? Wow. Because yeah. you, the best of you is, is when yeah, you're, you're comfortable. Sh- you're showing everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When you're oh, that yeah. tired we're and you're that exhausted. Yeah. And, yeah. We're peeing in the boat, right? So yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like you really get intimate with someone yeah. when you do this. Amazing. Mm-hmm. Well, one of the things that you talked about, I mean, after you came back and you guys had finished and like it was all kind of wrapped up you were immediately like texting me from bed, just like resting and being like, I have to talk to you about like the men I crushed in this race. Yes. So 
So I feel, I like feel kind of guilty about how good it feels to beat men. Like, <laughs> and like everyone listening, I'm five foot three. So I don't like beat a lot of men at a lot of things. Um, we, we did another shorter race where we, we actually passed, uh, I, can't, I think we passed 62 teams together in like two hours. Like we just like crushed and a lot of these teams were men mm-hmm. and that feels so amazing. And I, and I actually, I do, I feel guilty about it because it should feel just the same mm-hmm. in endurance sports and like with Spartan races and like ultra marathon stuff. There's this term called like chicking. Have you guys heard of that? No. So it's, if you chicked someone or you got, if you're a man and you got chicked, you got beat by women. Ew. And so there's this discussion in endurance athleticism of. But is, there's no term for when men. No, no. And it's like, okay, so on the one hand, you're celebrating strong, badass, powerful women. But on the other hand, you're just reinforcing this idea that that it's a shock. Yeah, that it's a shock that you you beat them. So that's, it's an interesting term. Um, So we checked some people. Um, (laughs) But I think what felt good about that is, is we were a little goofy, like at the registration, we like wore sparkly dresses. Our name is goofy. Like we're both young, you know, 20 somethings. And we, we just owned it. Like we're like, yeah, we're cute. Yeah. And then we're going to go and crush. So, <laughs> so, um, we, we actually heard some commentary after like how we'd showed up at registration of someone saying, like, do they think they're going to be that cute when they finish? Like, this caused a little ripple. And we were like, yes, we, we are that cute. And we're actually more badass when we finish, too. So. Yeah. Yeah, that was such a huge thing. Yeah, and, you know, I got... I don't think there's anything to feel guilty over, by the way. Thank you. Not a drop. That's amazing. Because I feel like we're, you know, to the point of the chicken, like you know, terminology, we're always set up to be in the bottom mm-hmm. or to not yeah. be the norm or to not be the winner. So there's nothing wrong with feeling a sense of pride yeah. when you can overcome that. I have a very strong competitive streak. Mm-hmm. Like I'm highly competitive and highly, and, and we make a good team because Heidi's not as competitive, but she's like the toughest person I know, like literally the toughest person I know. Um, and we had experiences. One thing that I like tuned into a lot was that as we would actually pass boats and especially like male boats, and we, we had one experience where we passed a Voyager team of men, so like eight men. Mm -hmm. It was a joke to them. Like at first they thought, oh, this is cute. Like, Hey, we'll chat to these girls. And they would like talk to us. And I'm just like, I'm not here to fucking talk to you. Like I'm actually (laughs) about to pass you. Right. And then they'd like, it it would be this, it was a thing. And, and that's partly like it influenced and motivated me a lot. Anytime we'd see a boat, like I wanted to catch, like I wanted to be on their ass, like right now, mm-hmm. and like find a line and just say goodbye to them. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I would get frustrated because it it felt kind of like they didn't believe it and it was funny and it was a joke. And so they like I had one. There was one comment that got made to me about like, oh, what's your step counter at? Like this joke, like we were like soccer moms or something. And I got then I was like you. I'm going to beat you so hard now. Yeah, like, they now don't, they don't know who Brooke is, but that would just fire up to make <laughs> her did, want. It like, fired me up. Yeah. And so, like, my competitive streak, like, from a young age, like, I was, like, the worst person to play board games with. Like, mm-hmm. I like it was a bad part of me. And I'm now, a similar. I'm a similar breed. But it's, like, finding finding the healthy part of that now. Yeah. Like, now I'm, like, there's good in that that I can, like, fu- like use it to fuel me. It's a strength as opposed mm-hmm. to, like, a flaw. Yeah, and like Amazing. when I'm in control of it. Yeah. When you're when you're run by that emotion, yeah. then and you're not in control. And you can of it. channel it. Well, yeah, it helps channel. when you're good at what you're competing. So, Aaron, like the first <laughs> half of the race, like I didn't think we were good at all. Mm. I, so you don't really know where you are in the pack, right? Right. Um, if you're not around other boats, like you have no concept. Mm-hmm. And I suffered so hard um, for like the the two to three hours before we entered our first stop. I couldn't even tell Heidi. Like, I didn't talk to her about it. I'm in the back of the boat. I couldn't talk to her about it. And I was, I was like, I cannot believe that my parents lent me this boat. There's no way on earth that anyone's slower than us. Mm. We are so slow. I'm horrible. I don't know what I'm doing. Um, I didn't train hard enough. I'm not worthy of that. Like, I just had this horrible story going on in my head. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like really, it was awful. I, like I literally was playing conversations with my parents. I feel like better to get that stuff out at the beginning of the race. Do you yeah, know what I mean? Be- you're always going to come up against some kind of sabotaging, mm-hmm. negative self-talk, you know, and we see it with the Caucasus crew with um, Lizanne who gets sick like right away, you know, yeah. when she, she subs in and then her body gives out on her. It's like, it's going to happen. Yeah. you know, better to get over it as soon as possible to be able to move forward. And they did a great job, I think, like the whole team and the Cox's crew, they 
they each like stepped into their role. Mm-hmm. Like I think that they knew like Lizanne knew she was young. She knew she was she's like a little girl. Like she's a little girl. That's she's a very small person. Um, compared to the others, like she has less rowing experience, but she came with her energy and that was what she was going to bring to the boat. For sure. And even when she was suffering, she still knew who, who she was on the team. And I think that was like a beautiful part for me watching the film. Um, they're not like, they're not professional rowers, right? These are like people that just decided to do something because it impassioned them, like, because it fired them up. Um, there's a, a way to describe the wire cue I heard someone say that was so eloquent that is so connected where he, this man said, it's a glorious race for the everyday person. Mm. Like you can experience glory even if you've never done this before and you can find a way to do it. Yeah. Like it's, it's, it is about endurance and that's what these women did. Like, Well, I yes, would also the, say these women are, I would say they're like above and beyond just being normal people. And I know that that's mm. part of the theme of like, oh, like anybody could do this, but like, no, actually they couldn't like there was a there's enormous amount I mean from a physical standpoint I think to your point maybe but um no I don't know for people that could that could go on an 8,000 mile journey you know for almost a year to give up everything that they you know know in their life and do that so I I appreciated that they're like this is an every woman story but I was like these women are superheroes and let's not forget that but I think we all have that superhero inside of us like, like, in yes, different maybe ways. They, yeah, which, and which we'll is get into the, the movie. We should kind mm-hmm. of back up a little bit and talk about, um, we're going to share a little bit about losing sight of shore, which is, um, as we've been talking about the Coxless crew who sets out to row the Pacific ocean from America to Australia over 8,000 miles and nine months at sea. Mm-hmm. Um, which was only supposed to be six months or something crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's like, I think it was like even shorter than that. Cause they kept delaying yeah. and delaying and the weather and and this film is directed by sarah moshman who we have to give the biggest shout out and the biggest warmest hug to because we know her personally and uh we got to go to the new york city premiere where she was there yep, and q a after the film it was such a oh man this movie like when i first watched it at that screening i was just like completely galvanized because the story is so phenomenal um, and then watching it the second time around for this, I was just like, I even had like a deeper appreciation for what these women achieved because at first you're just completely blown away yeah. that they're able to do it and that they literally go from San Francisco to Hawaii, to Samoa, to Australia. Like, it's like, how is this happening? Mm-hmm. Um, but then the superhero aspect of it definitely shone through the second time I watched it for me. It was just like yeah. incredible. It was such a joy to watch. Yeah. And like I felt like every every moment you're like you just wanting them so bad to like be in a good space and hit a good current and then they like slam up against a storm or they have then to somebody restart. gets sick or <sighs> I mean there's just so much you're just so rooting for them off the bat yeah um, it was such it was like a fun like <gasps> now this is happening like so I was watching it on my phone and the second time we saw it and um, I just kept nudging Sal like and now they're here and now this is happening like he was getting a live update and then we ended up watching the second half together uh-huh. um, yeah and to your point Sarah Moshman um, when I was doing the dream girl Kickstarter she had just finished her Kickstarter with the empowerment project and was one of the first filmmakers I met who gave me advice about the process Um, we've been in touch for many years now and every time I have a question or I need something or, you know, she reaches out to me, Hey, what about this speaker thing? So we, um, have been in touch and, uh, this is such a beautiful film, especially just to see her as a filmmaker grow and evolve. Um, and something that really struck me last night, just as a general theme is like these women are so incredible. The journey that they took is so historical Thank God we have filmmakers like Sarah, mm-hmm. because I feel like this would have just washed out to sea. Nobody would have, you know, taken the time to highlight it. And I think that's why we need, you know, women and people of color and more inclusive filmmakers telling these stories mm-hmm. because we would have missed this. Yeah. And these women are so phenomenal. Their journey was so incredible. And I, I texted her yesterday. I was like, thank you for making this. Thank yeah. you for unearthing these stories. Like, what a great journey to watch and be a part of and to go back, you know, and to be able to lift yourself up through the resilience, the perseverance. So 
Bravo, Sarah. Bravo, Sarah. And I think one of the things that I appreciate so deeply about this documentary is that she mounted cameras on the boat Mm -hmm. and she gave them a bag of GoPros with a lot of (laughs) water resistant casings and said, go girls, please film yourselves while you're doing this incredible life changing journey. She literally told us at the screening, like, I had no idea if there was even going to be any content at the end of this, so, because their entire thing was like, you have to do this yourselves. Right. Because I, I can't be big, on the boat with a you. A big risk that she took 100%. I was so amazed. I'm so glad you shared that, yeah. that, that that's how that worked. Yeah. Because as I was watching it, I was like, oh my God, they're amazing. These women are amazing. They just turned the camera on. They knew to show, shoot yeah. this. Like I was so impressed with, they knew their journey. And it was yeah. like, they yeah. knew, and I'm sure there was so much more that we will never see and we didn't see. But I felt that the story I got was so real and yeah. that like like they had footage of themselves like we're brushing our teeth now and now oh my god I'm I just got news that a family member has passed away yeah. and you, you're gonna get to see me cry and I'm gonna tell you what this means like to have had to, to have turned the cam- camera on at that yeah. time like I was so and that's with a that. testament too to the way that Sarah communicated with those mm-hmm. girls and the way that she built up trust. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because in the beginning she's emailing them, you know, they had to do a certain amount of interviewing every day, you know, and then the question she'd ask, Sarah would get like a log that would say, okay, I filmed this, I filmed this. And Sarah would go, okay, can you go deeper? Yeah. You know, can we get this? Can we get the mundane? I want, you know, so don't think for a second that she didn't have her hand involved in like curating Mm -hmm. that story and building the relationship with these women so that, you know, they could actually, you know, be able to you should really share. And something that I'm, that's kind of, um, I feel like I'm connecting the dots just about a, a documentary that I did abroad. Um, the camera, I wonder in a lot of ways if it also became a bit of a release for these women. Because for if sure. you're sitting there, you know, you're probably sick of these other three women, you know, giving you an outlet to be able to just talk and a, a bit of a therapy session. Well, you're already contextualizing your experience as you're experiencing it. It's mm-hmm. like journaling, right? Yeah. It's like, I did this thing and now I'm going to process it as I'm still experiencing it. Yeah. Like I feel like you're stronger at the end of it because you've already done some of the work right. to get through it. Like, cause you're thinking about your experience as you're, you're living through it. And let's also mention that something that I thought was the most exciting thing about this film was the fact that there are three women who take the whole journey um, Emma, Laura and Natalie. And then every stop that they take, they get like new blood and there's new energy on the boat and there's new challenges. And it's so fun to watch the dynamic of these women, like, you know, not only take care of a new person, but also like get taken care of by the naive joy that they're bringing of being like part of the expedition. And then I think the pain of like watching them walk away too, mm-hmm. like when I think it was Liz Ann or when all of them are like, okay, like I did my journey, I'm done. Yeah. See you guys later. And the pain of them being like, we've got to go on. We've got to get back on that boat. I mean, it is, I don't know how they did it. It's just such a testament to not only physical strength, but the mental, emotional strength of this film is far surpasses for me. Like, I mean, physically incredible enough that you guys did this. Of course. Mentally, emotionally, that this movie and and what these women did is on a whole other level. A thousand percent. I think it's all mental. Yeah, it is all mental. Because they had to like, even to live in those small quarters and. Well, they had a, like, they had a vision and Laura was such a leader. I loved yeah. Laura's like quiet leadership. I was yeah. so inspired by it. Um, it was her vision. It was her idea. She got people to get excited about it and yeah. not even excited in like a, oh yeah, that sounds cool. And like a, yes, I will commit my life. Mm-hmm. Like I, I will like take this time off of my family. I'll take this time off of what I would normally be doing and I will put myself through pain and danger mm-hmm. for yeah. your idea. Like that's such like what a leader. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was quite like her leadership was like not rowdy. No. Yeah. And it was, she's just a strong yeah, woman. She's not a cheerleader. She's no. like here to org. Like, well, she's, she's leading by example. Yeah. And everyone is kind of gravitating towards like her groundedness and her, her centeredness in the mission. Um, and even like Emma being like the hers was the hardest storyline, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't know what you gals think, but um, to have her be like the one who's like, I love rowing, rowing is my life. And then to watch her start to hate it when she because she was so quiet and introverted when she started to break, which, you know, they're mm-hmm. all going to break. I was like, oh, man, this is not good. Like I just the pain I felt for her and you could see on her face and her, you know, oh, that was really that was I think she went through the hardest because I feel like Natalie was able to roll with it in a way. 
and the control that I think Laura and Emma had, which I have a lot of, so I empathized with, that was really tough. But you know what I really, it's funny, like, that we're kind of talking about Laura a little bit here and the way that her leadership style was, because what they went through and the way that she broke and the way that she succeeded and the way that they're all just kind of using their different qualities and strengths to lift each other up at different times mm-hmm. reminded me so much of what we went through with Dream Girl. Mm. It literally, like, Laura reminds me so much of you, Erin, and, like, the way that we had to kind of ground ourselves throughout the process of startup, throughout the process of launch, throughout the process of selling the film, mm-hmm. the way that we had to ground ourselves in the belief in the mission mm. and the belief so deeply in what we were doing. This yeah. wasn't just because we liked rowing. This wasn't just because we liked making movies. This right, wasn't right. just because we want to bring this film to the world. We believed just so deeply in what Dream Girl was capable of doing. Yeah. And that's what we had to come back to on the days where we didn't want to come into the office and the days where the women didn't want to get on the oars and Mm. the days where they just wanted to find the nearest shoreline and stop. Yeah. And I think that like that's on second time around watching this film is like what struck so deeply for me is it could be such an unrelatable story to have four women row across the Pacific Ocean, but the bond between all of them in doing it is just like... It makes me so emotional just talking about it because we've all had that in our lives where we believed in something so deeply that that's what's kept us going every day. Yeah. And I think that that is what this film showcases so beautifully. Laura's decision um, to say we're not going to have a support boat Mm -hmm. close to us because we don't, we will want to get in it. Like, we will want to quit. And knowing that, like, having that insight yeah. before that race start, or, like, sorry, before the, the record was set um, and pro- before their journey was so brilliant. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's like, I don't know, when you're describing your experience with, with, together with Dream Girl, it's like, did you ever feel you had a lifeboat beside you? Mm. And did you ever put one there? Or did you know? <laughs> Which we did every <laughs> Yeah, but you didn't have it. And then you yeah, put a going. One. Yeah. It would have been great to have a backup plan. <laughs> But, but maybe not, because maybe if you, who would have known what yeah. would have happened? What if you did have a backup plan, then where's Dream Girl? Yeah, yeah. It's so, like, the power of not having a support boat to, like, kind of pull you out of what you're experiencing mm-hmm. is, yeah, when she talks they about that They had one decision, option. Yeah. Their, their option was to continue. Yeah. I really also love that even though Lizanne was sick and, like, she was having all those nauseous problems, she was like, you can't ask any of the girls to cover for mm-hmm. you. You know, you got to get back on, You got to get out, back out there no matter how sick we all feel or how tired. Like, you just – I loved their commitment to continue to show up for each other. Yeah. I would have liked – I think the um, – I love that we got all the testimonials. I wish there would have been a way for us to kind of see – a little bit more of the camaraderie between the dynamic. Yeah. Um, because I'm sure it would have been so fun to to get dropped into like, you know, the four of them having conversations, which I know as a film crew and with the all the GoPros probably and audio wise probably impossible when you're on the sea and the yeah. sound. But um yeah, for them to just say, okay, like even if we're hurting, like we gotta keep showing up. Yeah. Having that responsibility to one another mm-hmm. is fuel. Yeah. What's something that kept you grounded while you were doing the race with Heidi? Because I'm sure it is, like, so easy. You talked about imposter syndrome at the beginning and just the physical exertion. and Yeah. Um, so before we started, I because I've, I've done, like, some uh, quite a bit of work in, like, mindfulness. And I think that was huge because I have done a large race like this before. And I was, like, I didn't have the same stamina I did this time. Like, it was so, it was so different. I was less physically fit this year. And my brain was just ready to go. Like, my mentality and my spirit was strong. Um, but before we left, we we made a goal or my goal. I said, I shared with her, like, what was my one thing? What, how how did I want to feel at the end? And it was that I wanted to spend, I didn't want to spend the time wishing it was over. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to be waiting for the finish line. Mm -hmm. I wanted to be present with where I was when I was there. And I didn't want to suffer. And that was my mentality. It was like, I'm, I'm here. I've decided to be here. This is a conscious choice I've made. It's a decision I've made. I'm going to live the experience as I'm experiencing it. I'm not going to wait for the end. I'm not going to, you know, suffer for the end. Yeah. yeah. And so that was really big. And, um, uh, Diana Nyad, who's an, who's a New Yorker. Yeah. She's yeah. on, uh, Oprah Super yes. Soul. Have you heard her interviews? Okay. So I listened to her. Have you heard them, Diana? No. You should check them out. They're really great. Should. So she's the first, I don't know if she's the first person or first woman to swim unassisted from. I think she's the first person. I, I think she is too. First person to swim from 
uh, Cuba to Florida, like without a shark tank. So basically like in open water. And she attempted it like seven or eight times, right? And she's in her, she's like in her 50s now or something? She's in her like 60s, yeah. I think. Yeah. So I think she did it when she was like in her late 40s or early 50s, hey? I think she did it pretty recently. She's amazing. Yeah. Like this, she's a powerhouse. She's a bananas athlete. Um, the Cox's crew had quote that, the quote about um, losing sight of shore uh, in order to to accomplish the goal. I, I can't think of it right now, but mm-hmm. they had that painted in their boat. I noticed in the film, and in the same way of that, I had a Diana Nyad quote. I had a few quotes, but I had a Diana Nyad quote. You girls laminated. I know we're we're inspired by quotes. <laughs> I've started creating my own because I feel like I'm just like borrowing content from everyone. But um, so Diana says the spirit is larger than the body. Hmm. The body is pathetic compared to what we have inside us, and that that word pathetic, like for me to be, I, I'm physic, I'm moving myself, I'm exerting thousands of calories an hour, and I'm telling my body it's pathetic, but I'm telling it that because my mind is so much more fucking powerful than my body. Hmm. Mm. that was that kept me going like that was such a powerful idea for me um that no matter what I'm feeling physically I am more than that wow I love that I love a quote it's also <laughs> love a good Diane and I, I love quotes. Are, um my pregnant uh text message thread one of the girls was like is anybody gonna do hypno birthing or and I was like mm. oh what is this and it's uh it's a mindfulness. Um, basically, you through your breathing, you hypnotize yourself into being calm mm-hmm. and to finding mindfulness and to like creating space and like power in your body, um, especially if you're trying to do a natural birth. So that's just something that came up for me is is kind of the connection between having to be sometimes you have to be physically present in your body and you don't want to be. Yeah. Or it's like you have to get out of your body and just be in your mind yeah, in those yeah. moments. Like for sure, which is. A really the Kate opposite Middleton of what we always tell is ourselves. into the hypnobirthing. She looked really good when after her birth. So like she did it. Oh well, come I hated on. that. By the way, yeah, so did I. Was miserable. <laughs> that's the second time that's come up on this podcast, oh. and I just want to give a shout out to Kate Middleton for Mark. the bullshit that is that. Yeah, yeah. rough. Oh my god. Um, but See, no, I love. Go ahead. Well, uh, something I noticed, and I I watched um, Losing Sight of Shore with my boyfriend, and he said the same thing. I'm like, they keep getting more beautiful. <laughs> Like the longer they were in the boat, it was just like, it was like I could see their spirit or something. Also, they're getting more tanned, they're losing weight, whatever. But like they're, they just looked more and more gorgeous and beautiful and strong the, long, the longer the film went on. I felt, I felt like it was more painful to watch. Oh, I was less like so attracted to them. Like I was mm. just like, oh girl, like I see your soul. Like it's coming out. Like mm, the yeah, you is yeah. coming out. Well, I felt like maybe that's why I, I felt like worn by it almost mm-hmm. because I could feel like the pain. It was so present on their cheeks and in their eyes. Their hands. And oh it just God. was like, their hands. I can so, feel like yeah. there was no longer that, I think, you know, I mean, and everyone goes through that high and low journey and the sabotage and, you know, we knew that they were going to break. Well, in any endurance sport, like I always think about this with Tour de France because I'm a big Tour de France nerd, but in the last week, they all just look like skeletons riding bikes. And in the first week, they look like athletes. Like the first week, they're so like How long is the Tour de France? Three weeks, two rest days. God damn. It's about people are crazy. It's endurance sports. I can't believe this. People, people I at the end of this table. It. No, it's so it's, wild. It's wild. To there is nothing this. you could do to get me to do anything. Oh my god, I have no stamina. On that path. I have no stamina. Like it is. It's a selfish thing, guys. Like um, <laughs> I, do it for the gram. Well, the gram definitely. Like I like so many likes about this, but it's. Also, <laughs> it's the first time I did a race, I had gone through a breakup. Um, like I mentioned, I was like super physically ready. Um, I was not like a, in a leadership role on that team. It was a great team. We smashed a record. It was awesome. Um, Is this the one you did on the Mississippi River? Um, yeah. yeah. So another like long, the second longest race. Um, but I hated the whole experience and I wanted it to be done every minute I was doing it for 340 miles and I was like pissy and I was like a shitty teammate and it just was like awful mm-hmm. and then I crossed the finish line and I was like I know why we did this and so doing this race I I was seeking that again and I wanted to show myself I didn't need to it didn't need to be shitty yeah like that whole suffering thing that I mentioned I didn't need to suffer like it was like I'm gonna go beat myself 
Mm-hmm. Like I'm beating You're past. You're chasing Brooke. the feeling yeah. that you yeah, had and at the I'm gonna line. and I'm gonna go get that new. I'm gonna get a new feeling, bec- yeah. and it's gonna be even better because I'm gonna know I left it all in the water. And Heidi and I, it, it was a struggle this year because we had a lot of rain. We actually went through a thunderstorm and a lightning storm. It, we had thunder like reverberating through our boat. It was it was there were some tense moments. We were out of. Um, it's an adventure race. Like we, you have to have um, enough like life support items to survive for 48 hours in the wild because you're you're literally in the wilderness. Right. Um and we had gone through all of our clothes. We had no dry clothes. We knew we had our sleeping bags were wet, our tent was wet because we'd had to use it. And we knew that if we had to stop again, like we were at risk of hypothermia. Like it was it was a dangerous situation to be in. And so um for the last I would say 3 to 5 hours time is so weird. Um we just gave it hell. Like we decided we are crushing the rest of this and we did it through the rain and we're like, we're at the the very end was like, like our last hours were our best hours. Mm-hmm. And like comparing that to, you know, you mentioned at the beginning, going through the, the struggle at the beginning was powerful because yeah. by the end, like it was like, I already had overcome that. We'd overcome it together. Heidi pushed me out of it. Um, she's like not an aggressive personality. And she had a moment where she just said, you fucking get it right, girl. Like yeah. <laughs> she just pushed me and it was what I needed. She knew what I needed and she gave it to me. Yeah. Um, and yeah, having that, that was more powerful to find at the end the strength, like to, to be stronger at the, when we ended than when we started. Mm. And so like, it's selfish. It's, it's like, I have that now forever. Like no one will ever take this race from me. Like, like fucking come at me. Like, <laughs> like, it's like I, I feel that. And I, especially like, I think more creatively, mm-hmm. like I think the, the marathon of dream girl, you know, yes. in my mind is something that now. I can kind of empathize with in that space. But I guess when it comes to like a physical challenge, like I don't, there's, I, I don't feel like I need to get that in tune maybe with my body or the process or for some reason, my brain, it's like a blank space yeah. that I would never venture or look yeah. into or. So there's also, um, commentary and research around endurance athletes that there's some form of, it's a little bit of like self-hatred. Like it's a mm-hmm. little bit of. A masochistic yes. tendency. So I'm going to put myself <laughs> through pain because there's something yeah. in me and, and from, you know, personal experience. Well, cause it's not rational. That's the no. thing about it is like no, 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 you no, have no. to have that tendency. You have to want that pain because there's actually no other justification for this. So the <laughs> thing is, this is what I think. In life, you will suffer. Like there will be things that are painful that happen to you. And the more you choose to find that pain first and tackle it and learn how to beat it, the better you will be served. Like the better you will do when pain comes because someone passes away or right. because you lose your job or because something happens to you. Like train it's it's training it's like i know that when a problem arises that is i've i've beat that pain like mm. i've been through pain before so it's like i'm and it's we were talking earlier about like channeling my competitive streak as opposed to letting it fuel me it's like okay i could be i could go seek the pain and i could go teach myself and know and prove to myself that I can beat it or I can just wait for pain to come because it's going to come. Like yeah. I'm a human being. Like we're, we're all going to suffer. Yeah. Well, I think to your point too about understanding and anchoring or finding some kind of anger through the and grounding yourself through the process, I think is something that we all need to learn mm-hmm. and that we're all, I mean, everybody's on an A to B to C. We're all trying to, you know, go somewhere or do something or finish something. And I think if you can master it or teach yourself or put yourself on a path where you're constantly learning that, I think that's great. Yeah, and I think that, like, I'm reading uh, The Power of Now Right Now by Eckhart Tolle. Who has the worst voice in the world, I'm oh, sorry. Oh, really? Yes, I'm glad you're reading the book. Oh, man. It's, it's, I can't even listen to him. I'm sorry, that was no a audio books. <laughs> no, um, don't do it. Well, like, if it's good enough for Oprah, it's good enough for me, I figured. And uh, he talks about presence and how the root of all of our suffering, and this is nothing new. This is rooted in Buddhism. This is rooted in Judeo-Christianity. But he talks about the root of all of our suffering is the egoic mind, which is either obsessed with the past or obsessed with the future, but it doesn't have any grounding in, in the present. So I think, like, what you're speaking to is, like, I'm not going to chase the finish line, aka I'm not going to try to project myself into the future that it's going to get better once I cross it, or it's going to get better once we get to this checkpoint, or it's going to get better, you know, later on. And you're also like not going to give in to the saboteurs that say like, I'm not weak enough. I didn't do enough training leading up to this. I didn't do enough mindfulness leading, like living in the past and trying to cast your mind back to all the things that you lack. You only have the present moment of like, and that present moment is rooted in suffering. Like there is a lot of pain, but it's the mindfulness of being present with Heidi, being present with the boat, being present with the weather and like 
feeling all of that as it's happening. I'm so not resolved about the Emma thing. So I also <laughs> felt that it was like, and, and I, you're reminding me of why I'm not resolved about it. I think. In what way? The reason why her story was so hard to watch mm-hmm. and why it was so painful for her to say, I always loved rowing and now I don't even know if I want to get back in the boat mm-hmm. is because she was giving rowing so much power mm. and she couldn't allow it to be something else for her. So rowing was, oh, oh my God, remember five years ago when I did that? Like, like it was so joyous at that time and now it's not. So now I hate it. Mm. It's like, why are you waiting for rowing to give you what you should be able to give yourself? That was wow. what was a struggle for me. Well, I think, I mean, I feel like Emma, of all of the women, found and had a, a, a space of identity through rowing, yes. to your point. Um, and I think we all probably, and I feel like I went through this a little bit with like with the dream girl process of filmmaking and knowing like, this is who I am and this is what I've always wanted to do since I was like seven and like now it has taught me some like hard knock lessons and like I need to now reevaluate who I am and what mm-hmm. I want to do. And I think that's normal to go through mm-hmm. that as a young person to to love something and to be so invested into something and to give it your identity and then to have to say, OK, wait a minute, I need to reevaluate who I am and maybe what I am is more than that. Yeah. So I don't think it's like a. I don't think we can hold Emma in a space of like it's her fault or her because I think that's just a journey we all mm-hmm. go through is is figuring out that the things we love are not who we are. Mm-hmm. And the presence is how we know that that's not true. Like I think like this is like the the power of now stuff where my identity is not anything around me. It's just this moment. And I'm not even my like I don't really have an identity. Like I think that's beautiful. Like I'm I want to draw upon my identity to give me fuel to do great things. Mm-hmm. But as soon as I allow that to be the only reason I do anything great, well, I've, I've, I've lost. Well, I think to Diana, to your point, I think one of the reasons we all loved Laura so much is she was so anchored in the mission. It wasn't about rowing for her. It was about the mission. So I think when you and I went through the Dream Girl stuff with sales, we had to go, okay, this isn't about what we're doing or what we're creating. This is about why we're doing it. And so I think Emma had to find her why. Yeah, yeah. And I think yeah, she had absolutely. to reevaluate that mm-hmm. for her herself. And I think the women became her why. And being on the boat and being present and, and saying, you know, and I, I loved, I mean, they didn't really like shine a light on this, but I love that her and Laura were the last two to get row. Off. Yeah, and to yeah, row yeah. home. Yeah. You know, when they, they got anchored in Australia, they had to take that boat because of the current. And then the two of them were the ones that did the final lap. Yeah. Yeah. I think for her to go, I'm going to sit next to you and I'm going to do this thing for you and I'm going to show up for our team. I thought that was very powerful. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And Emma, um, she made the comment, I can't change the boat. I can't hold the boat. I can't move it. She was mm-hmm. so frustrated because she's like, I can move every boat. I can always do this. Yeah. And then you, it cuts um, to Natalie saying, no one can do this for a 1,000 pound boat. Like it's humanly impossible. And so that identity shift where she had to go, I don't have to be that girl. Yeah. I don't have to be the one to but move I, it. But I so empathize too with that, that level of control, of mm. wanting to control the boat and wanting con- to control the destiny and wanting to control what happens next. I think that's, I think it's definitely part of, um, I think it's a little bit of a personality trait and I think it's a little bit of what's like just in your bones Uh, Because I think when we see like Natalie and I wish we did we see Natalie break at all? She didn't. I feel like her personality was more like go with the flow. She didn't have expectations. She didn't hold that kind of. And I I don't want to say the journey was easier for her, but I think she had more tools maybe to 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 be more present and to be more in the journey. I think just a different personality. I think 100%. just like a different view, a different perspective of what this is for her. Yeah, yeah. and I totally resonated with her. So yeah. that's yeah. so funny. Like and we're I reading not we're reading it. Yeah, and we're reading it from our character. Like yeah, I, yeah. I like Natalie was projecting 100% <laughs> on these women. I'm the boat. <laughs> you are not a 1000 pounds. You're like two and Guys, it's bothering how did they okay, even right, row? Then. That boat was so big. Yeah. yeah. I couldn't believe the like the weather. Like, what? like being in those waves and I've oh been in rowing boats before. It is intense. Yeah. When I mean, that, this is different, like, but a uh, huge like steamboat was like, the storms are coming. I was mm. like, oh God. That guy was hilarious. Like he was like pleased to be telling them oh, boy. that they were about to get rocked. It was kind of weird. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a real. I ugh, love that they also for, like had the um, bandwidth to like bring 
Christmas decorations oh and my champagne God. and like okay, so amongst having so small space, they really were like, we're going to celebrate. So yeah. the conversation that Joe and I had was, what if this was for men? Like we were trying to imagine it as mm. four men and I'm like, you have no gifts for each other. You have no responsibility <laughs> to one another. You're not like trying to pep each other up. You're just like doing not speaking. it. Yeah. Like I, I was like, I feel like there would have been way more like we're not dealing with our emotional stuff together. Well, first know. I wouldn't have watched that movie. So... <laughs> I feel like this is, I mean, I've always kind of felt this way that the cliche that men don't talk to each other, it's, I just think they don't talk in the same, like, level, but I feel like the men in my life have such mm. deep emotional connections to each other. It's, like, very bizarre. We and talk, we don't see that in mainstream. Too. Like, yeah. it's becoming that way. Oh, like, I sure. think oh, that we sure. as women are expecting that more of the men that we are with and oh, that yeah. we date. And like, my husband with. and his best friends are, like, the most intimate group of, like, guy friends. I've, it's outrageous mm-hmm. the love that they have the like compassion they show like they say i love like there's so much love there mm-hmm. totally. shout out to john uh, bobby walter <laughs> johnny i'm sure we've shout out to them before all of my man friends they have great them. names that's like a great like that sounds like a tv show it, but it might they as well be at this i'm point. sure someone's they done really it before. could they but you really wouldn't could. watch it you wouldn't watch it i would watch that one guys <laughs> i would don't sell me out like that i would watch that show <laughs> oh my gosh um, brooke i'm wondering like what what were your tools when you were just like i hate everything i'm done rowing was there anything that anchored you or fueled you or was it just like get trying to get out of your mind what was your <sighs> process there in the beginning especially when you're feeling very sabotagey i was doing it for the people that have supported us to get to the race. Um, like drawing, we had so much of a community around us of people who wanted us to succeed. Um, people who have done the race before, people who I've trained with, people who, you know, like heard about, we had a friend, um, a guy in India that was following us on the race because he heard about it and thought it was cool. Oh. Um, so just like that, like reminding myself of the people, the mm-hmm, mm-hmm, of the people around who like, who wanted us to succeed. And especially like my parents um, who've been like huge for like the the years that I've paddled, um, and Heidi, like at the end of the day, like yes, everyone else, but on a different, completely different level. My responsibility to my teammate, our bond, like knowing that we signed up together and that we were doing this together. I it was like you were talking about um, Lin- what's her name, Lynette, Lizette, Lizanne, Lizanne. Thank yeah. you, Lizanne. Going, I can't. I, I got to take my two hour shift because these yeah. other ladies are relying on me. Like that. Like knowing that. I wanted, yeah, and, and like I mentioned my goal, my goal being I wanted to not suffer and I wanted to not be thinking about the future. Heidi's goal, like her, what she wanted to feel was that when we finished, we finished as a team. So when you're paddling, there's a lot of, like, so I'm in the stern of the boat, so I'm more in control of our directionality and um, like where we're, our navigation. Um, but we wanted to make our decisions together. So when we end, we didn't want to feel like one person kind of like, took over and did everything. And and that was her goal was that she wanted to feel that way. And so that fueled me a lot too. It was like, okay, I'm going to connect with Heidi about this. Like, we're going to talk through it. Like we, if, if I'm going down, I'm going to let her know so that she can bring me up. Like when she's struggling, like, but we didn't, I'm proud of how little we, we had that feeling of wanting to quit. And I think it was, it was the pre-training of like knowing that that wasn't going to be an option. I also wonder too, if your, 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 something that struck me about the women in the cockless crew is that it, it took them a couple of days to acclimate their body to the schedule. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you guys were in such a fight or flight of like, where are we? What are we doing now? What you're probably, you're probably so um, in the midst of like processing where you're at. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? We were better. So there are certain parts of the river, which are more intense to navigate in terms of like finding fast current, which you want to do like to obviously like, sure. to make it easy on yourself. Um, and then also like, there's a lot of like in some certain, some sections of the Yukon, there's like islands and places that you could like actually kind of get screwed up. And those places I found when my brain was engaged and I was looking at the GPS and I was looking at the maps that we had, like the laminated maps, like I was doing better because I had more going on. And so Mm -hmm. I'd play a game with myself where when I started to feel that I was struggling, I would go, okay, um, I'm going to tell, what's the best paddle stroke I can make? Like how perfect can my stroke be? And I would be thinking about every little detail, like where's my pinky finger right now on the paddle? And like, where's my, like, which muscle? Yes. Giving my brain something to do um, to that, like what's actually happening around me and not getting distracted by like what I'm feeling in my body, but like owning it instead of being owned by it. Ooh, 
I love it. It's wild. Ra ra ra. Amazing. It was the coolest thing ever. It was the best thing ever. Are you going to do it again? So yes. We've already, like, literally we got off the water and we were like, we know how we're, we, we like, have, we're like, we're doing it in 52 hours next year. Like, like I'm going to say oh, that I right now it. on this podcast that we, like, we're already, like, pumped to train. We're going to do better. We're going to set different goals and we're going to do it as a team. Crazy. Phenomenal. I Diana, love it. are you going to ever do any? Absolutely extreme, not. Extreme sportsing? No. The closest I get to extreme sports is on my couch with a coffee watching Tour de France. That's the closest That's I get. That's your extreme sports. That's my extreme sports is following that whole race. But no, I think it's it's fabulous. And I... I'm so proud of you. It goes without saying. But see, see, this is the type of like that's why you want to do it too. Is like we had a support crew that was up there. Like two of our girl, good girlfriends came up and like literally were there watching us as we were suffering. Mm-hmm. Um, Arissa and Darcy mm-hmm. and like having like knowing Diana was like paying attention and knowing that yeah. like your friends they want you to succeed. They're rooting for you. Yeah, they're rooting for you. And you don't have to paddle the Yukon River for me to root for you. I know, and that's another beautiful thing. That's, that's my, my identity. My identity is not just... Shook. Ra- Shook. <laughs> I love it. Any other final thoughts, words, wisdom, anything? Quotes? <laughs> so many quotes, but um, thank you guys for for giving me the opportunity because this is a like, really emotional thing for me to talk about because um, it was so powerful in my life and like it, it does... It influences the future more than it tells me about my past. Mm-hmm. Like It is something that now drives other things that I think I'll be interested in and other things that I'll be willing to put my hand up and say, yes, I'll try that. And yes, I can do it. And if I, if it's hard at first, that's okay. Yeah. Um, so that's really like an exciting part of now processing what happened is what else does this mean? Like where else can I go? Um, also just want to give a shout to, um, Sarah Moshman again for this beautiful film. Um, and she has kind of a Cinderella, um, distribution story of the fact that Netflix saw it before her distribution came out and wrote her a big fat check which we love to see in here. And we, um, yeah, it's awesome that women are getting money for their work and that she got uh, paid to make this. It's fabulous. You guys can check it out on Netflix. Brooke, congratulations again. Okay. This is, it was so incredible <laughs> to hear your story. I loved how you, we were able to kind of, you know, tie it into this film, obviously. Uh, but thank you guys for introducing the film to me. Like, like, it was a great way to process my experience too and get to watch this. I loved it. Yeah. Thank you, Sarah, also for creating this. I'm gonna I'm gonna second that. Ms. Moshman. That thank you. Diana, any final thoughts or No, I'm just shimmying behind the microphone. This is the happiest feminist Wednesday of all time, ladies. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Happy Feminist Wednesday. Attention Springwood, my name is Josh Krebs. And I'm Liz Richards. And we're the hosts of Bloody Date Night. So Josh and I have been dating for four years, and Josh loves horror movies, and I hate them. Yeah, so each episode we go through the horror movie franchise canon to watch an episode and then meet up and we discuss it together. And so far it's been going pretty well, right Liz? I think it's gone pretty well so far. Yeah, each episode I try to see how far I can push Liz to watch a really good horror movie until she basically leaves me and it hasn't worked yet. Not yet. And it's awesome because you're the Tatum to my Sydney. You're sweet. And here's a clip from one of our recent episodes. Hello, I'm Exposition. Hey, let me t- let me tell you what just happened. There's a break-in at this costume store. Somebody stole some ropes, some knives. Somebody stole a mask. They stole $250. They scared a cat. They took two boas. They took two boas. Two feather boas, one I, set of angel wings. It's one of those goddamn... They're probably having a burlesque. <laughs> probably doing a burlesque show later. I don't know. Oh, Haddonfield. What isn't happening? Haddonfield's first boulet. Burlesque <laughs> club. That'd be amazing. I would love that. Um, the Lacey Pumpkin. The la- Ooh. This has been an Atlantic Transmission production. Hey!